Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest, William Adams, and he's a tech entrepreneur. But most importantly, we're going to talk all about the intersection of tech, AI, Web3, blockchain, how it's changing the world, intersects with social media, create wonderful podcasts such as this. He's a tech advisor, speaker, philanthropist, and I love talking to individuals such as um, William on the show. And William, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know we were talking backstage before this recording and kind of tell people how you know your story and we'll delve right into the conversation. Yeah, well, my story is um, I have a long history in tech. I'm uh, I'm about to turn 59, if you can wow. believe that. So I've been in tech since before tech was tech. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started programming when I was about 12 years old back in the day before personal computers were personal. <laughs> But I, I've had a long career doing stuff. Um, I spent 24 years at Microsoft. I, I recently retired, as it were, from Microsoft um, to do my own stuff. Um, but yeah, 24 years um, at Microsoft and, and I don't know, about 20 years before that um, in my own company with my brother doing all sorts of stuff in Silicon Valley. So I, I'm just a tech guy. I've written code my whole life. I still write code today. Um, and I've gotten into things like the blockchain and AI and, and all the rest. And um, when I was leaving Microsoft, uh, the, the pinnacle of my career at Microsoft, I was the technical advisor to the CTO. Yeah. His name is Kevin Scott. Yeah. So one of his technical advisors. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Because uh, in my early days, because I started um, my career you know, pre-med, you know, medical, you know, going through that traditional route and, you know, all throughout undergrad, I was like, you know, oh, tech's a bubble, it's a scam, you know, same thing what we're talking about with, uh, you know, Bitcoin and digital assets and Web3, you know, every, everybody's saying, oh, it's a scam. I miss the internet, I miss Google, but when Facebook came on the scene, I got in, I saw the power of social media and uh, never looked back. So yeah, what's interesting is, um, you know, you've got an interesting story, uh, underdog story, I'm an underdog as well, and we're going to talk about how you um, crafted your story. Um and so kind of talk about this state of uh, tech where we are today. There's there's generational uh, differences colliding. Um, we've got demographics. We've got dead, you know, macroeconomic, we have war. Um, so kind of talk about how tech intersects in all of this. Ooh, that's a, <laughs> that's a big one. Let's, let's go back to the creation of gunpowder. 
And I've actually used that analogy before. I mean, technology is is like that, right? Like technology is the thing that uh, is a curve that we ride that gives us certain boosts in, in things along the way, right? Like the invention of, I don't know, the automobile, right? Yeah. That was an inflection point. We suddenly in the industrial revolution went from being behind the plow with the ox and the, and the horse <laughs> to suddenly using steam engines and gas powered engines and diesel and railroad and all these other things. And it transformed societies, right? And then along came airplanes and that transforms again. And now we're into rockets. Um, and then in the what 50s, 60s, we started to have transistors and computers and that transformed society again to the point now where we all walk around in our pockets with supercomputers. You know, this literally would have been considered a supercomputer when I was younger. Um, and it's just a, an iPhone 12. Yeah. So technology has these, you know, it kicks society every once in a while. And we go, what is that? For some people, it's fear, right? Yeah. Where it's like, what is that? It's going to take my job. This is what we're experiencing <laughs> right now with the advancements in AI. What is it? It's going to take my job. And then other people are like, what is it? That's great. That's a new tool I can use. <laughs> you know, and then there's, what is it? How can I use that to exploit people? <laughs> right? You have all yeah. three of those happening <laughs> at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's the that's how those things collide. I mean, technology is just a tool. It's a continuum of, of advancements of human intelligence. And then we use it in different ways in our societies, depending on where you are, right? Um, and my goal is to get people on the leading edge of tech so that they can be using it rather than be plowed under by it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. And kind of talk about this. Um, you know, um, Raul Powell, Kathy Wood talk about this exponent, or um, and also Peter Diamandis. They talk about this um, exponential age and yeah. basically talk about like Moore's law and how oh, yeah, yeah. change is so fast. It's like Twitter speed fast these days. Yeah, and it's. Yeah. I had this discussion with my brother. I have an older brother, and we've been in tech together since, I don't know, for 30, 40 years. And uh, I try to explain to him what exponential growth is like. Like Moore's Law says, you know, you're going to double in compute power every 18 months, two years, you know, something like this for the same price or the same space or, or whatever. And it's hard to really grasp what that means. Like I, I held up my iPhone and said, oh, this is the supercomputer from 20 years ago. It's like, imagine that, and I literally mean this, when we had crazy supercomputers, these were room-sized computers, literally, like not small room, not like a bathroom-sized room, but a huge room computer. Now it's shrunken down to the size of something you stick in your pocket, right? Yeah, that's exponential growth. When you double and double and double and double, things get really small, really fast, and they get super powerful really fast. And all we use them for is text messaging, you know, and before we were using computers to calculate, well, to get us to the moon, the computer that got us to the moon, I mean, a calculator would be 10 times faster than that today. Right. I mean, those we're talking really basic, simple things. And we got to the moon. Right. Um, calculating. We used to calculate things like nuclear explosions. What's going to happen when you let this bomb go off and whatnot um, or weather predictions, stuff like that. Now we're using them to do things like, well, can I self can I have the car drive itself? 
can the robots walk and pick up things and work in a factory, right? And some of it is, uh, as I explained to my brothers, like, just take everything you've seen and heard about in science fiction over the last 20 years, that's today. It's happening now. And it's hard to understand that because it's like, what do you mean it's happening now? Self-driving doesn't really work. It's like, give it six more months and it's going to be twice as powerful as it is today. And today can already get you from point A to point B without you touching the steering wheel. Um, so yeah, the, the advancements in technology is really hard to understand, but just understand that, um, yes, the machines are getting more powerful. The algorithms are getting more powerful, meaning the programs are becoming simpler. We are now using the computer to generate the programs for itself. So it's going to make itself more powerful, right? Yeah. And then we get to reap the benefits or we get to be scared either way or both. Yeah. It's quite interesting because uh, I've been using ChatGPT since January and um, the capabilities now versus January is it's almost like right. – magnets almost 10x and then i'm i'm you know excited to see what's going to happen next year with what it can right. do um the right. next and, thing and, go ahead well sorry ahead. and speaking on uh, chat gpt because you, you go down that path and it's like for those who don't know chat gpt is this conversational thing you know instead of search you can actually talk and ask questions and get answers and have a back and forth with it and I have a I have a virtual assistant that helps me do all of my scheduling and you know all this stuff and <laughs> And she at first was like, oh, I was telling her about ChatGPT last year. And she's like, oh, my God, that's going to take my job. It's like, no, it's going to make you more powerful. <laughs> and yeah. it allows you to create those documents or create the schedule or create whatever more quickly, right? Yeah. So the burden of certain things in your intellect have been lightened, just like um, factory automation made it such that our physical burdens were lightened. The tools like ChatGPT make our intellectual burdens lighten so we can think even more things, right? So sorry, you were going to ask something. No, uh, I was just going to say, uh, it's almost like, because like you were alluding to the industrial revolution, uh, factories yeah. and machines, they commoditize physical labor. So right. and now software and AI is commoditizing mental. Intellectual labor, labor yes. Yeah. yeah, which um, is a scary thought because it leaves us as humanity with... So what do I do then? <laughs> you don't need my muscles. You don't need my brain. What's left? It's like, well, now you can go surfing. <laughs> oh, now all we need is universal basic income and everybody can take a year-long vacation. Or, yeah, you know, it, it gets down to that. And without being yeah. political about it at all, it's like literally, it's like your physical labor is, is reduced. Your intellectual labor is reduced. What do you want to do, right? We don't need you to produce widgets anymore. We don't need you behind the plow anymore. What do you want to do and what does your human intellect want to add to humanity, right? We can start thinking like that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if we get there or not. It's, and that brings me to my next question is kind of because you were technical advisor to CTO Kevin Scott. And um, so I know Microsoft's been under the hot seat with the government, you know, a lot of these tech companies. Um, so my question is, I always look at the government and I always think it's like so backwards because like the stuff we're <laughs> using is still like 50s, 60s, like people try to innovate and then they try to shut it down or regulate it. What's, what, what is the role of government? Are they just basically corrupt and just kind of want to keep the same or what, what is that? What is that? Well, that's a very tricky <laughs> thing, right? I mean, government bureaucracies <laughs> exist 
without all the, the labeling, they exist to achieve certain things. Yes, they exist to regulate. That's their job. No one else um, can do that. And I'm talking about the U.S. government. I'm not talking about any other government <laughs> on the planet because they're all uh, different. But governments are there to regulate, to protect, to have a shared social good for the country, all that sort of stuff. Um, in particular, bureaucracies, are their incentives are... Uh, conformance, right? <laughs> you must conform, meaning you, you you need to adhere to the the regulations. Whether that is good for a situation or not is not the question that they answer. That's not their job. Their job is to make sure you conform. You checked off boxes A, B, C, and D, right? Yeah. Is this actually good for my my the environment or not? That's not my job. My job is to make sure you checked off boxes A, B, C, and D, right? And this is not to say that they're evil. It's just that's what government and bureaucracies are, right? Mm -hmm. um, without any other thing. And they, a lot of people recognize it's like, oh, it sure would be nice if they had a different incentive. If the incentive was more about satisfying a need, right? Like you don't, you don't get rewarded, government employee, unless these welfare recipients get the best outcomes, right? <laughs> As opposed to, uh, we just got to check off the box and who cares whether they had a good life or not, right? So with technology, we can possibly elevate and change some of those incentives to say, well, conformance is no longer good enough, right? Mm. Compliance with the regs is no longer good enough. There's some higher order human good that we're after that the technology can help us achieve. Let's get all the all the regulatory, um, bureaucratic, fill in the blank stuff taken care of by some AI form filling thing. Now yeah. that's no longer a concern. Now let's focus our attention on how do we get better outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. I do want regulation of the uh, water quality, air quality, <laughs> traffic, you know, I do want these services. I just want the incentive to be that the things get better, not just that the checkboxes were checked, right? Mm, and I think yeah. technology can help us get to that state where yeah. we can change the incentive to be government serves a good rather than serves to just check the boxes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I really like that idea. Um, kind of, uh, changing alignments and incentives you know we'll kind of shift the uh, narrative a little bit and you know because you've actually had a successful career you know one of the best company so, um you were an entrepreneur and kind of talk about how um you know we can promote more diversity equity inclusion you know how you made how you made it and how can people you know have more of a say um, we talk about bipoc you know uh, people of color and uh, black indigenous as well you know I'm, I'm part of that group as well so kind of talk about how we can help the um the people left behind you know get a opportunity yeah we're at a we're at an interesting point for most of my career um at microsoft and in the industry in general uh for those who can't see me i'm a black <laughs> man in america so um me in in the those corporate halls for all these years i was mostly the only one you know, I mean, seeing a fellow black engineer was just few and far between. There were pockets of people, but for mm -hmm. the most part, until my last few years in the job, 
I didn't really see or interact with very many black folks. I was always the only black guy in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And women didn't have it much better. <laughs> you know, I mean, there were more women than there were blacks, but not by much um, in certain roles. Mm -hmm. So, but I was, I had an opportunity to help transform that at the company by creating this a program called Leap, um, where I just cracked the code on how do you hire minorities and women, <laughs> you know, or underrepresented minorities and women. And yeah. it was just as simple as, well, you got to look in different places and you got to reprogram the hiring managers to see people differently, right? Um, you're not going to go to MIT and get more black folks. There's just not that many there. So you mm -hmm. have to look in different places, right? <laughs> and just allow for the fact that very smart people are everywhere um they don't all look like you come from the same places as you so you need to have a an apprenticeship program or an internship program that's not based on the college they came from yeah right uh, so that was one part of it was just cracking the code on well where do you find the people because oftentimes you know hiring managers are just like i want to hire more blacks and women but they they just don't exist like are you kidding <laughs> women are half the planet how could they not exist <laughs> You're just not looking right. Um, so mm. questioning things like, oh, we don't want to lower the bar. The bar is just code for uh, we don't want people who aren't like us. <laughs> it's a hard thing to fight through biases. And then the other side of it is to say, well, there has to be a business imperative for this diversity. You, you cannot checkbox your way into this. It doesn't help to have quotas and things like that. It's like, well, we need to hire 10 Blacks and 15 Latinos and 20 Pacific Islanders. You know, it's like, <laughs> you'll hire them, they'll get in, they'll say, this place doesn't want me here, and they'll be gone within a year, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you can't checklist it. You have to have a business imperative that requires that diversity. And in particular, as we're doing more and more AI, where diverse perspectives and data sets is required if you mm -hmm. want to win, um, it's a business imperative that you have a diverse workforce. I mean, forget all the, in the past, we would say, oh, diverse workforce, you know, they work better together and you get all these different perspectives and all this. Like, forget about just DNA diversity. If you don't have psychologists, philosophers, religious people, and other people in your workforce over the next five years, forget about winning in the AI space, right? <laughs> so you have to truly be diverse uh, if you're gonna win with AI, because otherwise you're gonna end up with models that only serve a very niche group, and you're not gonna yeah. win on a world stage, right? So it's a mm -hmm. business imperative that mm -hmm. you have a diverse workforce. Now let's work backwards and say, well, how do I do that? Because we're all the same and we don't know how to hire people who are different. Okay, let me show you how to do that, right? Yeah. But it's a business imperative at this point. It's like, you will not survive this AI age if you do not have a diverse workforce. Yeah, yeah, I love, I think there was a documentary about um, the AI getting developed at MIT and it was having trouble because it was basically, um, the models were uh, built based on uh, Caucasians. And yeah. so it was like, you know, it was having trouble with, you know, BIPOC and diversity. So um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's a, a famous uh, person at uh, Microsoft who did a study in shades of brown. You know, it's like, hey, the models only recognize like four shades of brown. There's <laughs> at least twenty shades of brown that that you need to recognize different kinds of people. So yeah. you know, it's 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 stuff like that where yeah, it's like, well, 
where did the data come from <laughs> and who trained the model is important now, whereas in the past it wasn't. Interesting. Yeah, I know uh, kind of we have, um, you know, a few minutes left um, and you talked about you, um, you started um, uh, event EV3NT and then what is it and why is it important for communities of color and, um, and with how people can contact you and follow you? Um, well, you can contact me, william-a-adams.com. <laughs> and the event is, uh, is just a model I have for helping communities uh, essentially hack their community. So it's a, a way in which um, that I learned from being you know, in tech that you can bring people together and we would typically call it a hackathon, um, but it's different. In a hackathon, you're looking for like an ultimate winner right? Like people hack on some code typically, and then they come out and it's like, I won, I got the full prize and everyone else gets nothing. So the event is different. It's to teach a community how to hack for its own good. So for example, you might have a community that says, oh, we want to solve our, um, we have a waste management problem with plastics, right? So I might bring in some people who are experts in the field of waste management related to plastics and maybe um, someone related to biodiversity and someone related to this, they'll give a, a mini talk and then they'll hack with you to solve some problem. And you might come out with something like, oh, we're going to create a, a degasifier. We're going to turn the plastic back into its component parts, uh, diesel and gas. And we're gonna use that to power our generator. <laughs> you know, this is particularly in a place that's like an island or something like that. So. Yes. And now we own a process and we own the patent for this thing that we created and we can now make money off of this invention that we came up with together. And then when their next problem comes out, like, oh, they want to deal with food uh, scarcity or food security or something like that, they now have the tools necessary to gather together, hack some solution and, and produce something that they then own, right? So that's what the event's all about. It's just helping uh, communities um, put their brain trust together with some help from the outside um, to solve their own problems, right? Instead of waiting for someone big to come along and solve the problem and then fleece them for all their money for the solution. Really interesting. Let's thank uh, William for coming onto the show, talking about tech and kind of looking at broad picture and also talking about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, be sure to check out all his uh, work and his thoughts. He's got a lot of interesting thoughts and um, resources. These will be in the links in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.